You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Good to see you. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and we're going to jump into um, Exodus 12 in a minute. I did want to point out that um, unless you don't have like real good like spatial awareness, there's a, a piece of paper that was in your chair and you maybe you sat on it because you just didn't like notice it. But there, it was there, and if you've got it in your hands, let me explain what, what I'd like for you to consider doing is uh, to consider writing a name down of somebody that is in your life, friend or family that needs the hope of Jesus right now. It could be someone going through a really uniquely hard time. It could be somebody that needs to know the grace of Jesus. But to write that name down, you'll have instructions on this later. Uh, we would even like to join you in praying for this friend or family member or neighbor or roommate or whatever the case would be. But uh, we're going we're gonna to be doing this all the way up until Easter, praying for, for the hope of Jesus to be known in us and around us. So I would actually like to pray for a moment, um, even while we consider this name. Some of you immediately, that name just came to mind. But I'd like to pray for you. It was also um, lots of fun this week, wasn't it? Um, anybody in here w- for more than a day without um, electricity or water? Anybody in here in this room? All right, how about, so there's, I don't know that there's anybody in Lubbock that faced that. How about, do you have a friend or a family member that went without uh, electricity or water or both for more than a day? How many of you guys? See, almost all of us would know somebody like that. So um, those are people even then in the short term need, uh, need hope and help. And so I'm going to pray for them as well as for us. So let's, let's pray together. Okay, well, Lord, we, we come with needs um, in this room and that the hope of Jesus would be felt today through your word um, here in the present. Those who are online would experience that kind of hope as well from, uh, from your word as we hear it. Um, and even those that we are considering on the, these little pieces of paper that that you would raise people to, um, to our minds, that we could pray for. There might even be conversations that happen. There might even be an invite to a service or to Easter, that there would be all sorts of grace and help that would flow through this room. And even for those just facing impossible circumstances, that you would be a God who hears and cares and delivers even for them and what they're experiencing. And for many of our friends and family across the state that just had uh, a terrible week that compounded a terrible year, that, uh, Lord, you would draw near, you would even help their circumstances very soon as things begin to thaw and um, that there would be help for them. Uh, but there would even be a sense of spiritual nearness that you would uh, draw near and bring hope in the middle of a, of a frustrating time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I would put the story that was read just a moment ago. It's one of the chapters that we read together as a church that would love for you to read the Bible, most of it. We won't read every chapter in the whole Bible together this year, but would love for you to read the Bible together as a church family with us. Even if this is your first time, you can start. And this is one of the chapters in our assigned readings is Exodus 12. I would put this that if there was a highlight film of, of Israel, and like a little huddle film, a little cut up of like best plays ever, put to music and that kind of thing, that the Passover would be at the very top of this. I mean, it would be, I mean, if the first play would be God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, that he would bless Abraham and then bless his descendants and his descendants would bless all the families of the earth. I mean, probably the second one would be the Passover, the, the story that we're going to be talking about today that Reagan read. And um, I want to set the, the stage a little bit for why it was so significant that you'd have these promises given to Abraham, but then Joseph uh, ends up in, in Egypt 
and then his family is reunited with him. And then they, they actually become a very large family there, even really the beginnings of a nation. And all that's great until the Pharaoh that had such a great relationship with Joseph, um, he was basically his right-hand man, that he dies, Joseph dies, and then inevitably, you can almost see it unfolding, going, oh yeah, this was probably going to happen, is eventually a Pharaoh comes to power and is like, hey, what's the deal with all these foreigners that are here? And why do they have so much favor? And they've got so much stuff, and they seem like that they're kind of halfway running the place, and we're not going to let that happen. And so eventually, there's a Pharaoh who comes into power that says, let's put these people here as free labor. Um, what a great idea. We'll make them slaves. And so that's exactly what happens. And this goes on for hundreds of years. Where we left off last week was a really encouraging passage where um, that for hundreds of years, surely the people of Israel wondered, where is this promise covenant-making God? Here we are suffering and struggling and, um, near, I mean, really even dying under this yoke of oppression. And where are you? And answer all along the way was God was hearing and seeing and knowing and remembering. And he saw all of it, and he was hearing all of it, and then raises up a deliverer, a human deliverer, that would be the means by which that God would, would deliver his people Israel. That would be Moses, and that's where we left off last week. Now, what's happened since then is there's been a series of plagues where, um, where every one of these plagues is like very, very serious. And um, on my readings this week, one thing that sadly I identified with was actually Pharaoh in the story, because what would happen is the circumstances would get really, really bad, and Pharaoh would go, all right, all right, all right, fine, fine, fine. Um, all right, I can see that your God is powerful, and um, let's just, I'll go ahead and do it. I'll do it. You guys go worship in the wilderness. I'm going to let you guys go ahead and take off. Um, Israel, y'all go do that. And uh, every time he would say that, but as soon as the situation would calm down, he would totally forget and go, ah, that's fine. You guys stay here. I'm not letting this free labor walk out of here. So that, that all leads us up to this point. This would be um, the, the, final, uh, the final plague that's really going to ratchet up the intensity even more. Uh, so um, here's the thing, is that Israel needed deliverance. They did. I mean, they were in slavery. They needed deliverance. Um, and um, you could say that, that God's deliverance was really their only hope. It really was. Um, that there was no way, no way, unless God were to deliver them out of slavery, um, there would be no way out for them. But, but even spiritually, they needed a substitute. They needed, they needed somebody to die in their place that, that God could have just let them out of there. But, but somebody, there's something that needed to die on their behalf because of God's justice. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, but, but we also need, similarly, God's deliverance. We also need that. We need, um, if we're going to have any hope at all, it's going to come through God's deliverance for us. Because in a very similar way, now we're not, not in physical slavery like, uh, like they were in Egypt. But we experience this all the time. That, um, that sin mars so much of our experience. Like for me, for instance, over the past year, um, the most painful part, and it, this is a really, it, it's a toss-up. Like what's been the most painful part between COVID where, you know, half a million Americans have lost their lives. Um, and then, you know, the economic impact, things like that. Has that been more painful or has it been more painful to watch just the sinful, awful way that people have treated each other in the middle of it? Like it's hard to watch, hard to experience sometimes. And um, you, you just see this affecting uh, almost every part of the human experience that sin mars things. It mars marriages. It mars friendships. It mars business relationships. It mars economic systems. It mars how it is that we look at each other racially. I mean, there's hardly any area that it doesn't mar and affect. And so we experience this too, but even so many of the things in our world are making salvation caliber promises, really, when you think about it. Um, I, you could make a really strong case that politics really is the new civic religion of Americans, that that's the thing that really 
stirs up fervor. People are evangelistic about it. You tithe towards it with your candidate or your cause. And uh, that people are, I mean, really, uh, really willing to lay their lives down for their political end and so on and so forth. That salvation promises are made there all the time. And salvation promises about, hey, here's the thing that's going to provide freedom to you is through expression of sexuality. That if you can express it the way that you want and if you didn't have to listen to society or religion or other people's expressions uh, or their expectations of it, then you'll be really free. Even substances, if you can use the substances you want, when you want, how much ever you want, then you're really going to be fulfilled. Or it might be beauty and fitness, where if you could be a certain, uh, certain level of fitness, if you could run the marathon, if you could drop the 20 pounds, if you could eat a certain way. If you, I mean, it can be almost any area, success and money and career. And if you can get that job out of college and start that business and get it to a certain point, if you can just get it here, then, then you're going to be good. These are salvation caliber promises. And every person in this room has bought into them at time, one time or another. Almost certainly some of them now you're buying into at some level that if this, then I'll be whole, then I'll be free. Oddly enough, all of these promises end up enslaving us even more. That's the interesting part about it. The deeper down the wormhole of politics, the deeper down you go thinking that sexual expression will be the thing in whatever form you want, that will be the thing that will make it great. And the more money you have and can spend on yourself and the bigger name and brand that you have and whatever it is that, that you have that you've bought into. So the case I'm going to make is that spiritually speaking, we're in the same spot. We need deliverance. We need, uh, we need, God, we need God's hope uh, also in a very similar way to Israel. So let, I want to explain the story a little bit and help us to be able to understand what's going on in the passage that was read um, just a moment ago. So this plague was the ultimate attention getter. So if all the other ones, Pharaoh would go, all right, all right, and then he would kind of forget about it. This is going to be the final one that Pharaoh just could not ignore. It would be so severe. Um, I could also make a case because the, the chief part of this is that there's a death angel that's going to go through the land of Egypt. And if you do not have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of that house, that the firstborn, not only child, but also livestock are going to die in that house. And uh, it's going to be a terrible morning. I could also make a case that this is an act of justice, uh, the justice of God towards Egypt. Because if you remember how Moses even got started, is his mom put him in a little basket puts him in the Nile River, and you're like, why would you do that? And the answer is out of desperation because Egypt was killing the firstborn uh, sons of the, um, Israelite, um, the Israelite people. And so you could also make a case, this is a, an element of justice, of God's justice towards, uh, towards um, Egypt and Pharaoh. Now, I realize that to a lot of us that God's justice kind of is like, ah, Lee, I don't like this idea of God's judgment and justice. But Hang on for a minute on that. I would make a case that we are more justice conscious right now in our nation than we've ever been. Now, the causes could not be more different. You know, like even in this room, one will see something as a very unjust act. Someone else will say that there wasn't any injustice whatsoever in that thing. But in almost every political, like wherever you're at on the political spectrum, um, no matter what you are, like you're probably, uh, probably saying, hey, here's an unjust act. Um, here's an unjust thing that's happening and it needs to be undone. And so I think we're actually really justice-minded right now. And we, we sense that there's some things that are right and wrong. Um, we just differ on what the right and wrong things are and the things that we feel like are unjust. Now, God is the, uh, the ultimate entity in the universe that determines what's right and wrong. Even his character and nature, nature determines what's right and wrong. So he actually will never uh, be on board with an unjust cause. God is a God of justice. And it's something that we have to take very seriously that 
Um, in this case, if the blood of the lamb was not over that doorpost, then you can rest assured that um, the death angel will go through and the firstborn will not survive. He's a God of justice. Sin is very serious and God is very serious about it. He's a just God. And so um, if we're going to access God in any way other than his justice, if we're going to access him in, him in any way according to his mercy, there's a real narrow way that you have to access him. And here he's telling Israel exactly what to do. Take this spotless lamb. You're going to kill it. You're going to cook it. You're going to do this. You're going to prepare a meal. And this is a meal that's going to be, it's like the ultimate to-go meal where um, you're ready to go. You go ahead and lace up your Jordans. Everything's ready to go. Get your staff, get your belt, uh, get your backpack, get everything ready to go. We're going to eat this meal anticipating, um, anticipating an escape. And then we're going to put the blood of this lamb over the doorpost. That's the means by which you don't have to face God in his justice. And so he's a God of justice. Yes. Um, and that's determined by his nature and his character, but he's also a God of mercy who gives a very specific way in which you can know him like that. And so the blood of the lamb was the, really the only hope of deliverance for Israel. Now, um, they would commemorate this event every single year um, all the way through the time of Jesus, all the way up until right now. Like if you have any Jewish friends or family, or if you're here today and, and that, that's your background, like every Passover, this is what you're going to do. You're going to commemorate the deliverance that Egypt, uh, that Israel experienced from Egypt out of slavery, but also even the spiritual deliverance that was promised here through the blood of the lamb. And can you imagine that day? I mean, can you imagine the conversation that was happening on the streets there in Egypt as um, you had you know, a few different Jewish men that would bump into each other and be like, man, have you, is this really going down tonight? I mean, are you, I'm terrified. I mean, I haven't all, I've been grumbling quite a lot against God management of this whole process. And um, I, I, don't, I haven't always like trusted him real deeply. I hope we're going to be okay. And, and somebody else that blows it off and going, whatever, man, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I don't believe in fairy tales. I'm good. And somebody else that's like, no, I, I'm, I'm a, I think he's going to do it. And I think we're going to be okay. It's, you, can you imagine the conversations that were taking place um, in, in the middle of all that? So to wrap up the story of what ends up happening here is uh, that they are, in fact, that, that this does happen. And it's a terrible morning for every person in Egypt that did not put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. That uh, the firstborn of their, their little kids as well as their livestock were all lost. Um, that night. Um, it had been a terrible morning as they woke up, but then because of the seriousness of it, Pharaoh finally says, just leave. Y'all get out of here. And uh, they have their bags packed. They're ready to go. And they get on the road, all of them in mass, and they, they take off. All right. So that's the, the basic story here. Now what I want to do is there's real significance here. Like this would be an awesome story if there's no tie to what Jesus would come and do. I mean, this is a really cool story of God intervene, intervening with human beings that were enslaved in a terrible situation that he was hearing and he knew and he remembered. And then ultimately, um, whenever the time was right, he delivered them. That, that would be a cool story all by itself. But then whenever you start to look at the New Testament, how the New Testament views even a lot of the imagery that's here and views the story, it even pops off the page more. So check this out in John 1. This will be up here on the screen. You can read along with me. This is really when Jesus is beginning to be uh, coming on the scene. And John the Baptist, that's who John is here, um, kind of announces him. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looks at Jesus 
as he walked by and he said, behold, now there's a lot of things you could say, behold, you could talk about, here's the great shepherd, uh, here's the great physician, here's the, um, the Messiah. That's, I mean, you could, there's a lot of ways that would be true to talk about Jesus, but here's what John says. He says, behold, the lamb of God. What an interesting introduction of a way to introduce God's Messiah to the people around is to say, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if you've been around church a lot, I mean, you may just be almost desensitized to the phrase. Like you've, you've heard that phrase and you're like, well, of course, I mean, he's cute and kind of soft and cuddly and maybe curly hair. You might just want to kind of pet him. And, you know, he's just real kind of a sweet guy in general. And that, that may be how you read Lamb of God. But what it's doing is it's pulling from like the Passover, like that, whenever someone would hear that, um, they wouldn't think what a cute, cuddly little, little, uh, little guy he is. Um, what they would think is, whoa, hold up. Because really what you're saying when you say, behold, the Lamb of God, is you're saying, hey, the one that's going to die so you don't have to. Now, like That's what you're saying. Like You're pulling from all of that. You're pulling all of that forward into that moment, announcing, hey, behold, the Lamb of God, the, the one that's going to eventually die on your behalf. That's what you're announcing. Um, really incredible. Even to go back into Exodus for a moment, um, Exodus 12, uh, verses 24 through 28, um, you, can, you can see even the meal that's being, um, that, that's being announced that would be remembered um, over generation after generation, year after year. Exodus 12, 24 through 28. Um, we'll have this on the screen as well. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. So this is year after year, you're going to remember this. And when you come to the land that God, that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over all the houses of the people of Israel in uh, Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So the idea of this is going to be, all right, so we're going to have a meal every year and you're going to have a, all these things are going to be laid out on the table. They're all going to mean things. And then the kids need to ask. And if you've ever uh, been in a Jewish household, if you have close friends, if you are Jew, like this, this has happened every year of your life where one of the kids will say, hey, why are we doing this? Basically, like what, what's, what's the story here? What do all these things mean? And then you begin to say, and you begin to explain it, but then the, the chief part of it is you'll say, hey, a long time ago, our people were enslaved in Egypt and God delivered us. And that's the story that you're going to tell. And you're going to remember that. And it's really significant that you're remembering the deliverance. And you're 3,000 years later, you're still talking about this event. Like right now, they're still talking about the escape from Egypt. Uh, they're still talking about that deliverance. But it's interesting is that they weren't only delivered from slavery. That's a really big part of it. But they were delivered to the worship of God. Um, that was in verse 27. It says the, the, the people bowed their heads and worshiped. That's always the way that it works. Delivered from slavery, but delivered to worship. That um, you're, you're freed from the bondage of sin, death, destruction, even physical slavery in their case. But it's always got a destination. It's always towards God, knowing God, uh, that, that the worship of God is where all of this takes you. So there was this new hope of deliverance um, here. Now, that meal, look, look at this now in Luke 22, uh, verses 14 and 15. So again, it's on the screen here. And they are over a thousand years after the fact. This is Jesus with his disciples. This is what they're doing is they're remembering the Passover. Uh, we call this the Last Supper. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table 
and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I'm just trying to imagine what, uh, what they thought of that statement going before I suffer. Like they just were having a hard time computing all this. He's about to die. And he says, look, I've been, I've been really ready to do this. I've been anxious to take the Passover together with you. Uh, I've earnestly desired it. And then now move into verse 19. So you had all these things that would be on the table of every Passover meal for, you know, over a thousand years at this point. And, uh, and so he's in the middle of this verse 19, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then verse 20, likewise, uh, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I mean, get out of town. Do you see what's happening here? Is Jesus is saying, look, see all these elements? Um, we're remembering that, that great deliverance. We're remembering the way that the lamb, the blood of the lamb was used by God to spare the people of Israel, this perfect substitute, this spotless substitute for the people of Israel so they didn't have to die. Um, God's justice was vindicated there and then mercy was extended that in the same way, see this bread that's being torn here? I'm tearing it in half. This is what's about to happen to my body. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be broken for you. And see this blood as it's poured out here in this glass. Now I'm gonna drink it. And as we're drinking it, this is the blood of this new covenant that I'm making with you. And as it flows out, my blood is gonna flow out on the cross. And I am this, this lamb. I'm this spotless lamb that is slain for you so that the death angel will pass over you as well. So when you die, and all of us will, when you die, you won't spiritually die, but you'll live. Like your soul will, will come through it all because of what Jesus has done. I'm going to pour out my blood for you. My body is going to be torn for you. So he's taking all of this Passover imagery, all of this history of deliverance and, and deliverance from slavery, deliverance to worship, all this desire for hope, all these false promises that human beings have believed in for so long of this is the thing that's going to make me free. And yet it actually enslaves all of this. And then now it's going to come to fruition in Jesus's shed blood for his people people, even at the end in Revelation, uh, Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. This is at the very end of things, like we're, we're coming to the finish line with a limp. Um, all of us are, have been banged up over the years. Um, we are, we're, we're limping. We've got shrapnel. We're kind of singed on fire. Uh, I mean, like we've been through it, right? And we finally get to the end and look at this moment. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come for the accuser. That would be Satan. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him, um, these saints that have kind of limped to the finish line. That's me and you, everyone in here who's put their trust in Jesus. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they have loved not their lives even unto death. So the blood of Jesus was so valuable to these people that even more valuable than their lives themselves and the way that they've overcome, the way that they've crossed that finish line was not their own strength, not their own endurance, not any kind of this. It was by the blood of the lamb. And even that that's the way that the book of Revelation would talk about Jesus. He was the spotless, sinless lamb, just like that Passover lamb, except this one would have the effect of saving and delivering 
every person who would put their hope in him across all ethnicities worldwide and ultimately will gain worshipers from every tribe and nation and tongue through the blood of Jesus. So here's my question for you. Have you experienced this kind of deliverance? Have you experienced this kind of freedom from slavery, um, of a slavery of things that are promising the world to you that if only you could experience this and if only this would happen and if only you were here, if only you could get to this point in your life and then you just realize that all it did was made you more and more unhappy and depressed and anxious and enslaved. And we've experienced plenty of these things, but have you ever put your hope in the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, his crucifixion and resurrection in a decisive way. Put your hope in the deliverance of the blood of the lamb. Have you done that? You're gonna hear a beautiful baptism story in just a minute of someone that, that experienced that very thing. And my prayer for you is that today that many of you would make that step. Now, if you have, if you have put your hope in Jesus, then my hope is that you're gonna do exactly what Israel went and did, and that's that they bowed and they worshiped. Now, let me pull this together um, in a couple of ways here at the end. So um, imagine those men in the streets that, those days uh, in, um, you know, in Egypt, and you've got three Israelite men, and the first one says, um, you know, I, I, I don't believe in fairy tales. I know I'm not going to go put the lamb, uh, the blood of the lamb. Uh, I don't believe in magic, and uh, plus this God that you talk of has done nothing but do bad things to me. And he's forgotten about us a long time ago, if he exists at all. So no, I'm good. That person walks off. So we have to ask the question, is the death angel going to pass over that man's house? And the answer is, is no. Um, there will be no Passover for that man and his family uh, because he's rejected the very narrow means by which that they could experience grace that day. And that would be through the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, right? Okay, well, the other two men are talking. That guy walks off and they're like, what about you? And this is kind of a modified version of a, of a, a version of these accounts for, that a friend sent me the other day. Um, and it made me think. And I, I thought these other two men, uh, one of them says, um, I don't know, man, I haven't always trusted God. You know, I really haven't. I, I've, I've been really angry at him lots of times. And I've, I've just felt like he's sticking it to us. And uh, I've been grumbling as much as anybody about, about him and everybody else and about our leadership and Moses. And I don't know, man, I, uh, but I'm, I'm doing it. And I, I do think God is going to come through, but I'm nervous. And I'm afraid that Pharaoh may get real mad tomorrow. And if it, even if it does happen, and, but I, I'm, I'm trusting, but I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. That, how about you? And that last guy looks at him and says, nah, man, I'm ready. I trust in the promises of God. I'm confident that he's going to come through. Uh, I believe that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. I'm not worried one bit. I'm going to sleep really well after we have this meal tonight. Um, and, then, and then we're hitting the road tomorrow. I've got my bags packed. So the question in this sermon that was sent to me is, which of those last two guys is going to experience the Passover of the death angel? Which one of their households is going to experience um, that kind of grace um, that God will extend to them through the blood of the lamb over their doorpost? The answer, both of them. And the reason is, is because it wasn't based on, hear me on this, on the depth of their faith. It wasn't based on the consistency of their faith. Uh, it wasn't based on how much they knew of God's promises. It was based on something really simple. And that is, do you or do you not trust in God's deliverance? Do you or do you not put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost? And it's the exact same thing for us. It's not based on, on the depth and maturity of your faith. Thankfully, it's based on what Jesus has done on your behalf 
his crucifixion, his resurrection, and the fact that his blood will speak for you um, with the Father. It's a beautiful hope. I want to wrap this last part up with a, a quote that kind of pulls together to me so much of what we've seen today. So check this out. Think of what an Israelite would say on the way to Canaan after passing through the Red Sea. If you asked an Israelite, who are you? He might reply, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and in bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and our mediator led us out and we crossed over. And now we're on our way to the promised land, though we're not there yet. But he has given us his law to make us a community and he's given us a tabernacle because we must live by grace and forgiveness. And he is present in our midst. And indeed, this last sentence is true. He will stay with us until we arrive home. I'm gonna pray. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Um, thank you for the way that your plan pulled us together for centuries. And even now, your blood speaking a better word over your people here. Lord, that every person here would believe in you. Every person would put their hope in you. That you would make yourself known to all. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.